I want to uh, introduce a special guest with us today, and uh, I want to just to have her come up and just give us a couple words. Um, Tammy Clark is the executive director of Stand Up Michigan, and her husband is with us, Farrell. Farrell from Ferris. That's how I get that, just so you know. Farrell from Ferris. He's an instructor at Ferris State University, by the way. So um, anyway, Tammy was with us last night at uh, East Jordan at the Harvest Barn. We had a Stand Up Michigan, what do you call it? Okay, regional county kickoff meeting, re- meeting, and I want her to explain a little bit what Stand Up Michigan is for us today. And so, welcome. So glad you're here today. Thank you for having us, and it was great to have you last night on our pastors panel. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you to the Friskies for putting that together. That's right. Um, so, the Stand Up Michigan, really, if you're not familiar with um, our group, we're a political political activist group, and we started. We were born last April out of a righteous anger. Um, at being told that we had to shut down our businesses, we could not spend time with our families, um, we couldn't leave our homes, we couldn't even go to our own homes if you owned more than one home. And it was really just a reaction, a righteous reaction to tyranny because it violated not only our constitutionally protected civil liberties, but it also violated our unalienable rights that are given to us by God. Mm -hmm. And we knew that. And so it was a group of business owners who really didn't even know each other um, that the Lord drew together. And um, we started this grassroots movement that grew to 400,000 people within just a week or so. Michiganders, all following on this Facebook group. And so they realized, oh my goodness, this is quite a grassroots movement, and there's a lot of anger here, and it's not a rebellious type of anger, it's a righteous anger. Because we're supposed to be angry at the things that God is angry at, right? We're supposed to hate the things God hates, love the things that God loves. And it was a group of believers and business owners who got together, um, and God used their managerial um, strengths their business strengths, executive skills, to take this huge grassroots movement and organize it into an actual organization that could affect real change, particularly in the state of Michigan. But within eight months, we've become a nationally recognized political group. And so we've been pulled up to the national level, and we've been asked to participate with very well-known groups, Act for America, Freedom Works, um, I could go on and on, um, Conservative Coalition, things like that. And every week, we are now on a call with national insiders, even those within the presidential administration, not the current one, former one. (laughs) We we still think he's president. We know he won the presidency. But um, anyway, we are very involved now on a national level, and we've been able to start stand-up chapters in other states. Um, We just partnered with um, Sheriff David Clark. You guys know America's Sheriff from Milwaukee. Um, And he started a stand-up Wisconsin group, and we're in the process of getting that up and running. Um, So he can affect real change at the legislative level, policy level within his state, because he's a a well-known, recognized leader in his state. We're also working with Ginny Thomas, our our, uh, Chief Justice Clarence Thomas' wife in Virginia, and they're starting a stand-up Virginia group. And so we are, the, these, these groups are popping all over the country, and we just purchased the domain Stand Up America because the Lord told us what we start in Michigan is going to spread around the country. And even the world, the eyes of the world are on us in Michigan. And God is doing something here. So we, we kicked off last night at the Harvest Barn Church. We, we started our first regional um, meeting because we wanted to kick off our county chapters. And this is why Pastor was involved um, on our pastor's panel, but also involved in the county level, right? The chapter, county chapter level. And so we are going to be starting stand-up county chapters all over this state to help 
people in each county get involved at the local level to affect real change within their communities. We know that the only way we are going to reclaim our rights, our liberties, and hold our freedoms, our constitutionally protected freedoms, right, mm-hmm. is by getting people involved at the community level. And that's what Stand Up Michigan is about. That's what these county chapters are about. So it was real interesting as I was sitting back here. Um, I've never been here before. Never met you until today. I saw you speak, but I just didn't have a chance to chat with you last night. And um, as I was sitting back here, this is a small group, but the Spirit of the Lord is very tangible here. It's a very sweet spirit, and I feel like it's a very pure spirit. What you guys are doing here is genuine, it's authentic, it's pure, and the Lord gave me a word for you and your church. He's going to use this church in this community because you're pressing in, Mm -hmm. and he's recognizing that, and he rewards faithfulness. And, and the questions that you're having and the frustrations that you're feeling, he says, lean in, press in. I'm going to answer those questions, and I'm going to use you to be a light in this community. And I see this church being used in Charlevoix, not just with Stand Up Michigan, but as we start these county chapters, it's believers that are coming. Amen. It's believers that are leading the charge to take back our freedoms. That's right. Because where does freedom originate? The blood of Jesus. Yeah. It's the blood of Jesus that has made us all free. That's right. And so it is believers who are leading the charge to take back our freedoms because it's, it's unalienable. It's a God-given freedom. And it's in every one of us to be free, especially believers, right? Yeah. So God's going to do something with this church. Amen. You have a very pure spirit, and you're leaning in. So lean in more as it's trying. I don't know what you're dealing with. Like I said, I don't know you. But the word that I got for this church was you're going to be a light in this community. So open the doors. Let them come. Let them meet. Let them use your church. It's going to be the church that leads the way. Amen. And so you're pressing in, but as you're frustrated and the questions that you're asking, the struggles that you're dealing with, the Lord just says, lean in, press in. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Amen. Do you want to to preach? (laughs) I kind of tend to do that. (laughs) But, you know, the Lord will give me a word as I go different places, and I've learned to just share it because people are not supposed to live in a state of depression. Yeah, that's right. We are to be the head and not the tail. Amen. And it's a dark day, but the kingdom of God is internal, and it's a kingdom of peace that no matter what is raging around us, we are to have peace. We are to live in peace and be joyful, right? Amen. So press in because yeah. I know the struggles are real, but he's doing something here. Yeah. We, uh, we don't, have just, as you're being seated, we don't have any appreciation for how special this is that we get to be in a, a part of uh, Stand Up Michigan at the early levels like we are. And uh, we're really honored, and, and, and it's really a blessing that we would have Tammy and Farrell here with us today. And Richard and Wendy, thank you so much for starting what you've done. We all know the, we all know the Frisky Market, right? Come on, apples and fritters and donuts. And who hasn't been to Frisky's Market? Everybody's been to Frisky's Market. And, man, they have great stuff. And uh, so we're really appreciative of that. So today, um, we are going to jump back into our study of Second Peter. Uh, it's been um, postponed a little bit for numerous reasons, but today we're jumping back into Second Peter, and we're in chapter 3, the final chapter of this short book. And I am so challenged and encouraged by this particular book in the Bible. Um, all of God's Word is timeless. All of it never changes. It's always relevant to today's needs that we're in, isn't it? It's continuously challenging and encouraging. God's word is always ready to give us a 
a loving rebuke if needed, a, a correction as needed, but it's also proven to give us hope and a place to turn to when we don't know where else to go. I'm so appreciative of God's word. And here's what I like about it is that it's, it's always truth. I mean, there's nothing that you could, there's not a page in the Bible that you could turn to that is not true. And that is something you can't say for any other book, any other thing written or any other thing uh, concocted by mankind, that the God's word is so, so true. And, uh, and in a day that is challenging us at every turn with untruth, man, um, God's word is faithful. And um, we don't ever have to fear that we're going to be told something that isn't going to give us freedom. And I love it. You know, our, we have a sign in our, at the end of the driveway here, and uh, we put in it, I put on it a, a few days ago that the, the slogan or the, the words truth plus grace equals love. Truth plus grace, it's a mathematical equation. I'm an engineer. Truth plus grace equals love. And what I find that's so interesting about that is that if you have anything but truth, and still have grace, it's not love. Because if you're not telling the truth, but you might have lots of grace, it's still not love because you're not telling people what they truly need to hear. On the same time, you could have truth and no grace, and it's not love because it could become angry, and it could become, I'm telling you what to do because I'm right and you're wrong, and that's not love either. So truly, they must go together. Truth and grace must go together if you're going to have love at the end of the day. And that's something that we just need to recognize more and more that we have to have truth. I mean, we are standing in a world right now that is so upside down that we have to have somebody to tell the truth. But always make sure that you have grace in it. Make sure that you have mercy in your truth so that it equals love. Because we could say the right thing in the wrong way. Amen? Anybody know people that have done that? My dad was good at that. <laughs> my dad was, what, wasn't he ripped nose, my dad? My dad was good at telling truth. But it wasn't a lot of grace sometimes with it. So therefore, it didn't come, always come across right. But it was the truth. Now sprinkle grace on it, and now we have love. And uh, that's just what Peter's doing today. So the message, the title that I have a message today is, is Second Peter. And he's talking about, um, the coming of Jesus. And so where is his coming is the title. But, you know, it's, sometimes it's really hard to um, think of a title. So I have a second title, <laughs> and it's called The Benefits of Wholesome Thinking. And these go together, as you're going to find out as we go through the passage here. And, uh, but if a person, truly, if a person can control their thoughts, if a person can um, grasp what goes in and out of their mind, it will make life so much better for them because in all honesty, so much of our, what happens to us is out of, out of our control and the only thing that's really in our control is what we think. How we react to some things is the only thing that we truly have control over. So if I can have wholesome thinking, and Peter's going to talk to us about that today, if I can have wholesome thinking, it will help me get through so many areas of life because we have a lot of stuff coming at us, a lot of good and bad. And when I can have wholesome thinking, 
in the middle of it, then I will have a much better time working through these issues of life. So if you would, if you have a Bible open, turn to Second Peter chapter 3 or the paper that's handed out. We, I have it written there and I also have it on the screen. So if you would today, um, stand with me and let's read God's word together. And uh, let's stand with me as we read and uh, read along with me. You can, you can you know, use your voice. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. He says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And here's the reason. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. We come to you collectively today. And we ask you to open up the word of God, open up our hearts, open up our minds, that we would understand and grasp what you have for us to grasp today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So we have a lot to cover today, if we can. And uh, so let's just jump right in. His first verse, Peter says, dear friends, he calls them friends. This is now my second letter to you. Now, there's some significance about that. So Peter has some things he wants to review with his readers. His first letter, he wrote, was written about five to six years prior to this to the same people that are getting the second letter. And what's interesting is most of the people that are receiving first and second Peter were probably people that were introduced to Christ at the day of Pentecost, 30 years or so prior to this. Because remember, at the day of Pentecost, all of, all of, all the Israelites were gathered together for the, for the feast celebrations. The day of Pentecost was, um, was a, one of the feasts that all the, the, the people would come back to. And, and we all know what happened on the day of Pentecost, right? The, the, the Holy Spirit fell on the believers, 120 that were in the upper room, that were already saved. Every one of them up there were already saved because they already had a relationship with Jesus through the, through the blood of Christ. Jesus had died and resurrected. And he said, go in Jerusalem and wait, and I will send the Holy Spirit, and I'll baptize you in the name of the power, or the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they were there. And they were waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, the Holy Spirit said, now is the time. And when the Holy Spirit fell, what happened? They spoke with tongues. They had uh, pillars of fire fall on the people. And they spilled out into the streets. And there were hundreds, if not thousands, of Druze out there from all parts of the region 
15, 16 different countries or dialects were represented there in that time. And, and they, fell, they fell out into the city streets and they were speaking in tongues and, and um, just having a great time in the Lord. And, and Peter preached that day. And what's so amazing about Peter preaching that day is that many of them, Peter could only speak one language at a time. Now, I don't know how many dialects that Peter could speak, but he could only speak one at a time. And yet we know because scripture said that there were many dialects and they were saying, they were amazed that the disciples knows coming out, many of them were speaking the languages of the people that they were understanding them in a language that these people didn't learn. They, weren't under, they didn't understand that. So the Holy Spirit had a way of doing that. So now here's the thing that's really amazing is that how could Peter, speaking one language, and there are probably 13, 14, or 15 or more languages represented that day, how did they all understand him? Because it said 3,000 that day came to Christ. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit speaks a heart language that we don't understand. And so here, Peter may be speaking in his Aramaic, Aramaic or Greek, whatever he was speaking in at the time, and there were dialects all over, and each individual person might have been hearing what Peter was saying, and the Holy Spirit was translating it into their heart language. So they could hear the message and so that's what I find so amazing of the power of the Holy Spirit is that he, he speaks a language that our hearts know. Now, my question today is that are we listening? Are we listening? Because let's look at church for a minute. Church is a one-room schoolhouse. We have preschoolers. We have kindergartners. We have K-6, we have high schools, we have post-grads. Now, the preschoolers are those that are unsaved, and the kindergartners are those that are just saved, and the K-6s and the high school people have been saved for a while, and then we've got the post-grads people that know more than the preacher knows. And we're all in one gathering here, right? And so the challenge is, how do we speak a message that everybody gets something out of? That's the Holy Spirit's power. That's what he does. Because he'll speak whatever your heart needs to hear today. Because I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're struggling with. And I appreciate so much Tammy's word because she has no idea what we're struggling with. But man, we're struggling and I appreciate your word. That was so encouraging for us as a body to hear the Father knows us from somebody that doesn't know us. You know, and our prayer is that we are that, that safe place in this community because there's going to come a time when people are just so fed up with untruth that they're going to, they want to go someplace that they know truth is at. And truth will always be here. Amen? We don't speak anything that's not truth to the best of our ability. Now, we make mistakes, so give us grace on the mistakes that we make. But our intention is to give the word of God in its truth, uncompromised and uncensored. And it may not always be easy to hear, Right? But with that comes a hope and comes an assurance that we're, in, we're on the right road and we're in the, the middle of the narrow road. We're not trying to get to the edge of the road to see how close I can live to the world in the narrow road. No, I'm in the middle of it and I certainly don't want to be in the wide road that leads to death and destruction, right? I want to be on the narrow road of God's word and that is only, gum, that is only spoken through truth. That is who we are. And I just pray that that's what our church is. Um, 
And that's what our, that's what our focus is. So Peter's message in the first letter was primarily to remind the people of the day that they were strangers and aliens in the world, and they're only journeying through this world into their eternal home to come. And in this journey, they can expect much persecution for their strange beliefs because they're contrary to what the world was believing. That was in the early church. Imagine how much more it is today than 2,000 years later. Peter instructs them in the second chapter of, the, of this first book. He says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. He says, dear friends, again, he, he, he loves his friends. I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So Peter's purpose in writing his first letter was to give his readers a joyful hope of the eternal perspective of living an eternal life, even in the midst of hard times they're going through. If we think we have it hard, they did as well. In fact, some of them actually had to die for their beliefs. We're not there yet, yet, but it may come a day. It may come a day in America that we may have to die for our beliefs. I think we have to die for our beliefs spiritually today. I die to myself every day, right? So do you. We die to ourselves every day so that we can be counted worthy to be a Christian. But there might come a day when we have to may die, we may have to die physically. Are we ready for that? My Bible Terry wrote this. Peter's major purpose for first Peter, the first book was this. Peter wrote this letter of joyful hope to provide Christians with an eternal perspective of their earthly lives. This included giving practical guidance to those that were beginning to experience intense opposition and suffering as Christians in an ungodly environment. See, in basic terms here, Peter was writing to the early church and encouraging them to stand up, church. (laughs) Stand up, Michigan. Stand up, church against the persecution that was coming against the church from the outside. From the outside. The government was against the church. The Pharisees were against the church. So Peter was encouraging them to stand up from the outside persecutions. Now, let's fast forward five to six years to the setting of Peter's second letter. And now this is the much shorter letter. And Peter writes this, just prior to his martyrdom, probably in the year of 66 or 67 A.D. He was martyred by the uh, Roman emperor Nero and, uh, for his faith. All the disciples were martyred for their faith, but Peter was as well. He was, he was hanged on a cross, but upside down because he didn't want to count himself worthy to be hung like Christ, so they, he requested to be hung upside down on a cross. A terrible death, but that's what he did. And so I like second letters like I like Second Timothy, I like Second Peter, because when a man knows that he's coming to the end of his days, you've got to know that what he's going to be speaking is the last, most important things he could ever think of to speak, right? Think about your last letter. What's it going to say? You're not going to mess around now with things that aren't they're trivial things. You want to get right to, the be- right to the bottom line of truth because it's the last letter that you're going to have to speak, and that's what Peter was doing here. 
So, so let's look at the, the, the purpose for the second letter was here was something that was happening even worse. Yes, there was opposition from the outside, but what Peter was seeing now for the reason of his second letter was the opposition was coming from a more dangerous place because the opposition was coming from inside the church. Think of that. It's one thing to be persecuted from outside, from unbelievers. But it's another thing to be standing in a church and feel your brother, who you thought was a believer next door to you, sitting in a pew next to you, bringing persecution and false teaching. And that's what's happening now in the time of Second Peter. So now Peter's letter is changing a little bit. So certainly there's still external opposition, but he's more concerned now with what's happening inside the church. And he's encouraging the people to stand up for truth inside the church. So his major theme in Second Peter is that Peter wrote to challenge true believers to be on guard so that they may not be carried away by the dangerously deceptive activity of false prophets and teachers within the church and also to remind them of the surety of the second coming of Jesus to take the church out of this world before the wrath of God comes. You know, that's going to be an amazing day when the trumpet sounds. It's going to be an amazing day when, when those that are watching and looking for the second return hear the blast and all of a sudden we're in the twinkling of an eye transposed from this earthly body into heavenly bodies and we meet Jesus in the air. That's coming, folks. That's a fact. It's happening. It's going to happen and we are in the last days. Peter was exposing that there would be greater opposition coming to the church from within the church in the form of false teachers and false prophets and many of them were undermining the fact that Jesus was coming again. Many of them were bringing confusion to that fact. And I think what's clearly obvious that the most powerful enemy that we face is the invisible enemy that attacks from within. It's the invisible enemy that we don't see. And quite honestly, that's what's happening in the world. That's what's happening in America. We're not going to be conquered by rockets and missiles from, from, from Russia or China. We're not going to be conquered by a military force that's going to come against us, that's going to conquer us. But we're going to be conquered from within. And we are. It's, it's the untruth. It's, deceptive. it's the deceptive nature of the, of the greed and the power mongers internally that are trying to take down our constitution and take down who we are. And so we're being attacked from the inside. So it's like Peter is almost writing to this letter to us today to, to say, stand up for what's happening inside the church. Stand up for what's happening inside, with, with, with inside our country from all those that would be non-constitutional. And I don't want to make this a political speech, but like we said last night, you can't separate church from politics. You can't separate what happens in the church world, into the political world, into your, into your home world because it all comes together. So we have to know that we have to be standing for the right things all the time. So Peter understood this, and he, said, and he also understood that to accomplish anything in the kingdom of God, that one must be able to control their minds and what one thinks about. That's why he wrote this. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, he says, I have written both of these letters that I've just described, both of them as reminders to stimulate you 
to wholesome thinking. Such an important reminder that we remind ourselves what to think about. We're complex beings. Our minds are pretty amazing things. And for the fact that we can even think is a miracle, let alone think about good things, <laughs> because we're so tempted to go down the rat hole of deception and, and discouragement and woe is me and all this other stuff. But Peter's saying, no, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And I think we have to understand that, our, uh, that, that our, all of our opposition begins with Satan. And our opposition begins with Satan. Now, it also begins with our flesh. Because we gave our dominion over to Satan in the garden. Well, we didn't give it, but Adam and Eve did, right? And so that was the, the time when it all started. But since that time, Satan has been given the rule of this age. He is the God of this age. So opposition begins with Satan. And he's all about destroying believers. He's all about destroying anything that God loves. Satan's out to destroy it. So Peter is writing his letters to stimulate his readers to wholesome thinking so that we can be taught like Peter was taught. Remember, Peter had the, had the, the privilege of walking for three years with Jesus. He heard it firsthand. He heard Jesus talk firsthand, and he heard him preach and teach firsthand, and he watched him do miracle after miracle, and he heard him give the Sermon on the Mount, and he heard him give all, he answered all the, the trick questions of the Pharisees and all the, the, the false media that was then was just as strong then as it is now, and he, heard, and he watched Jesus be able to give good answers and never, get, never stumble over anything, never get confused by the Pharisees' questions the way they tried to trick him into things. Jesus always had a way of answering right, and Peter got to hear it. Wouldn't that be cool? It's awesome. But now he's trying to teach us what he was taught. And Jesus said this as recorded in, in Luke about what lies in the heart of men comes out in their mouth, whether it's good or evil. Luke chapter 6, 40, 45, it says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So wholesome thinking then leads us into living and thinking the way that Jesus would have us to live and think. And that's power in an age of untruth. So let's continue on in our text, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2. He says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and, commanded, and the commands given by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through his apostles. Peter's saying here that God's true prophets spoke the truth of God's word. And they were commissioned to preach truth without error. Big, big mission but God's message, here's the, here's the important point. God's message is all about love and redemption. God's message is not about anger and destruction. It's about love and redemption. Satan would twist it all around, obviously, to use it to destroy. God would redeem everyone if they would only recept, accept him. That's what his plan is. And why is this so important for us to realize? Because God has an eternal time clock, and it's ticking away. And Satan knows it. Satan is very aware that his time is short. And his challenge right now is to distract as many people as he can. Because he knows that he doesn't have many days, weeks, years left. We don't know. He doesn't know. 
Only God the Father knows when that day is coming. But the enemy knows the time is short, and so he is angry, and he is doing everything he can to destroy a righteous country and destroy a righteous church and destroy righteous families. Know that he's coming against you, dad, mom. He's coming to destroy your family. And if you can stand up against him through the power of Christ, you can protect your family, your genealogy lines, your generations that are going to follow you, that they will rise up and call you blessed. That's why it's so important that we take stand and we know where we go and, we're, where we know, where we go and we know where we don't go because there's going to come a day when people are going to look to us and they are doing it right now. So Peter's talking here about the end times for the remainder of the chapter. The remainder of chapter 3, he talks about the end times because he knows, the devil knows, that it's his job to destroy us and distract us. So let's continue reading. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Peter says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as, as it has since the beginning of creation. Even though Satan was defeated on the cross, he's still alive today. And he's still doing everything he can to bring deception. And by definition, we are in the last days. And let me define it this way. Let me go back to understand how Jesus described the end days. Because he said in Acts chapter 1, 9-11, that as he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight, they were looking intently to the skies. The disciples when suddenly two men dressed in white, angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you from into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So from that day on, the, the disciples were looking for Jesus to return. So that began, that's the definition of the beginning of the end days, even though that was 2,000 years ago. So now we're 2,000 years further toward the end days, clearly we are in the end days. And so the scoffers were coming and saying, where is this promise? Where is this, this coming that you've talked about? If Satan can get us to be stop believing in the return of Christ, he can get us to stop believing in anything. And then we have no hope. And it's being done all around us today. Our country, people are talking to us about lies and, and, and stand up things that would, that would come back against God's word. So how does Peter deal with the untruth of his day? How does Peter stand, deal with it? He goes to the word of God. And that's the same thing that we need to be doing. Because Peter then goes on in Second in Peter 3, 5, and 7. It says, but they, the people that were coming against us, the, the, the doubters, they were saying, but they deliberately forgot that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water by water. And he goes on to say that by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction by the ungodly. Peter understood that the only way he was going to deal with skeptics is to, deal with, is to get them into God's word. And that's what we need to do, folks. It's not about how good of an argument we can make. We need to understand God's word and let God's word stand for itself and let it be our defense. Because God's word will always stand the, the test of time. 
And otherwise, we get into stupid, foolish arguments, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 23. It says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. So do you want to defeat your cause? Then have a stu- stupid argument with somebody about something that really doesn't make much sense. Stay in the Word of God. Stay in the truth. Teach hope. Teach promise. Teach good. Teach truth. Give grace. And let the Word of God deal with with what it's got to deal with. Because if you let it happen, then the untruths of this world, when we're being told two plus two equals five, we can say, no, it doesn't. No, it, it equals four. Well, why? Because God's word says it does. I mean, I just read the book 1984. If you haven't read it, don't. <laughs> it's a real eye-opening book. And in that whole book, they were talking about the way that they would destroy people was to basically rewrite history. And whenever you can rewrite history, you can control the present and, and, and direct the future. And so many things are happening the same way for us today. And so we need to stand on the truth of God's word. We need to be like Peter, go back to the word of God, don't make stupid and foolish arguments, stand strong, stand before the word of God. Jackie, would you come please this morning? So as we end our conversation here, I want to put our emphasis, though, on the fact that God's word is beyond and over our feelings and our opinions. When God's word says something, rest assured it's going to happen. When he gives a prophetic word, it's going to come to pass. God is outside the realm of time. He saw the end from the beginning. So when he writes a prophetic word that goes to the end, it's not that he's hoping it's going to happen that way. No, he's already seen it happen that way. So the prophecy that he gives way back here is of a surety that it's going to happen just the way he said because he's already seen it happen. So there's no guesswork in God's word. And when he says that his second coming is near, he knows the day. And when you're starting to feel it, like we can sense the power of the Holy Spirit in a place like this, when you can start to feel the power of God's presence saying, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, it's because it's coming and it's going to happen. The last couple verses of this chapter says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with us. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the hope of God's word. Yeah, I like America strong. I like it when my checkbook is strong. I like it when my home is secure. I like it when I have religious freedoms. I like that. But let me say this. If that's the only reason that we want a strong America, we're missing the point. The reason that we need to have a strong America is so that we can continue to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ so that more people will have an opportunity to hear the gospel message. The patience that God has given us is not to give us better vacations and to give us more time to spend in our beautiful homes. The patience that he has is because he's extending his grace so that more people will hear the gospel message and it'll come from their sinful ways and come into a home of eternal life. That's why we're here, guys. 
That's why we're doing this. That's why this church is here. That's why I'm here. It's not because I just like the pastor. It's because I know that time is short and I know that God has given us a window of opportunity and it's our job to step up into it and be good stewards of the time that God has given us and these great resources that he's given us in this beautiful facility. We have a, we have a community outside here that's lost, that they are looking for something. And yet, it may be a while before they find us. Like I, I have a couple of bird feeders. I have a bird feeder outside of my office. I put it up at the wrong time of the year. If I would have put it up in the fall, the birds would have been gathering because they would have seen, they would have been in the trees. But I put that up like six weeks ago and I haven't had a bird yet. The bird feeder's full of food and I've got a suet thing sitting out there. Great suet. Greg put it out there for me. But I haven't had a single bird yet. And I keep watching. Every day I go to my office, I keep looking on the ground. Is there any bird seeds in the ground? Not a single seed's fallen to the ground yet. I haven't had a single bird to my bird fear yet. But I'm trusting the day they're going to come because I got good food out there. You know what? Same thing in this church. I'm trusting the day that you're going to come because we've got good food in here. And when they know there's truth here, they're going to come. And what's our challenge? Is to be ready. Is to be ready. That's why we're doing Workshop Wednesdays to get ourselves ready for what that's going to be like when people start coming in here. This church used to be 250 250 people strong. We've never been this low in numbers, ever. That doesn't, well, it could discourage me, but it doesn't because I know that God's got a remnant of people here that are praying people. That's why we pray Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. Come back tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God that he's going to prepare this church to be a a sanctuary, a safe place of hope, restoration, redemption. Amen? Now, if you need help, you know that we're going to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this, this day today. I thank you for the truth that you're... That you're, that you're allowing us to speak. I thank you for the prayers that, we, that were prayed today. I thank you for the prophetic word that was given today. I, I received that and we stand by that. I thank you for the way that you are leading us and guiding us. Even in these challenging days, we just learn to surrender more and more into your grace. We fall into your arms. We lean into you. Whatever way we want to say it, we're just depending totally on you and you alone because you are our, our only hope and our only salvation. I pray that you give everyone here today, that you would give them a a hope as they walk out of this place, a new life, a new sense of encouragement today as they go into their workplace this week. I pray that they would know that they are sheep to, to beget more sheep and that they would be bold to stand for Jesus wherever they're at and pray when the unction's given them to pray, to reach out to people. I thank you for that. And I thank you for your assurance. And I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Jackie, lead us in that song.
There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I.